Welcome to Reluctantly Supernatural in an Age of Reason, the podcast where we explore the place of the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. Our hosts, Pastors Mark Cowpersmith and Bob Maddox, combine their years of ministry experience to address the issues of the prophetic gifts in our modern world. Join us as they interview their guests from a wide variety of spiritual leadership backgrounds, as they share their insights on the place of the supernatural in the church and the world. And now, our hosts, Mark Cowpersmith and Bob Maddox. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another session of Reluctantly Supernatural, our podcast. Mark and I are so excited today to welcome one of my dearest friends, old, old friend, I should say, not that he's that old, but uh, I'm the old guy here. But he is a friend from many years ago, and he's a, this guy is a uniter, a pastor, a, a prophetic, gifted, talented guy that I've always admired, even from his young days as a Christian, and I've just seen the way God has used him across the body of Christ, and I'm just thrilled that Francis Enfuso is with us today. So uh, we're going to ask him some questions, and he's going to tell us his story. Francis, it's so great to have you here today. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, it's, it's so good to be with you. you. You're one of my heroes from the early innings. Again, I was a baby Christian, 72. You were ancient. You were five years in the Lord. Yeah, we thought the Lord was coming back any moment. <laughs> you were the seasoned sage. I'd look yeah, up. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. Thank you, Francis. Well, you know, Francis, I remember when I met you, you had just come out of the hippie culture. You guys were living in the commune across the street from that little church there in uh, Smartsville. Huh? Uh, but tell us about your your conversion and and what was the what was some of the keys that really sure. brought you and a lot of those hippies into Christ? Sure. Well, I, I was raised on the East Coast. My father was in politics, so I went away to boarding school when I was eleven. Never lived at home again. So uh, that put a lot of father wounds in me. Became an atheist at fifteen uh, for seven years. Then went to university all five years. I was an atheist, in your face atheist hedonistic, anarchistic atheist. And so um, got involved in the whole hippie drug counterculture, went across the country in a hippie van in the uh, fall of 1971. Um, we actually are doing a movie about that. So we filmed a few scenes already. We filmed my suicidal scene in that wow. uh, deal. We filmed my conversion scene, me going across San Francisco Bay in a little dinghy with one oar <laughs> for an hour and a half. I mean, crazy stuff. We filmed a few things already. But um, going back to that, that moment in time, I uh, had come out of a relationship with a girl. I'd had an abortion with her. Um, I had another one previously, and uh, I was really coming to the end of myself. I was suicidal for six months. Every day I contemplated killing myself. And so in that desert, walked out by myself with a dull pocket knife, began to carve on my wrist, screamed out, didn't know what I said. But I said, God help, God help me. I wouldn't have acknowledged it then, but I screamed, God help me. Then uh, my friends didn't know what to do with me. My twin brother, my best friend, the, the ex-girlfriend, a few others. So they put me on a plane in Sacramento a week later. Uh, the girl I gave $100 to get the abortion with, she gave me $100 to get on a plane, get out of her life. I went to Maui uh, and lived in Hawaii for six months, got into further into Eastern religions at that time, uh, came back, uh, went to see my twin brother. At that point, you could send a little postcard and say, hey, I'm camped out on a river. <laughs> General Delivery, Lahaina, Maui, I'm camped out on a river, come find me. I said, oh, uh, with that amount of specific information, absolutely. So went up to Nevada City, was about a day behind him, 
and I decided to visit that friend who was in the van. He and I had actually uh, knelt on a beach in the island of Molokai a few months before and prayed, Jesus, Krishna, Buddha, we have studied your teachings. You're all not the same person. Would you reveal yourself to us? I did know, not know, but he had gotten saved. So I went to see him. It'll be 50 years ago, Mother's Day, this next year. And he had gotten saved. And uh, so I'm coming. I have my whole little mystical thing that I'm doing. <laughs> and he just seems rather unimpressed. I'm going to, to South America with a woman. And so I figured he'd want to cash in on the deal. But he's like, eh, none of it's interesting. And so um, I said, what are you into? And he describes how he went into the woods for um, a month and chanted to Krishna. You know, the flowers, the fruit, the picture, all that just chanted his brains out and was losing his mind. And he said, and we filmed this scene as well, too. He went into an Episcopal church midday, a church he had grown up as a child, knew nothing about it, saffron robe, barefoot, long hair, beard, and knelt down in the front and said, you know, Jesus, I don't know anything about you since I was a little child, uh, but if you're real, reveal yourself to me. He said at that point, he was knocked backwards. I'm listening to him, and he's a credible source. This is not, you know, the Jesus freaks I'd argue with. This is a guy who he was my peer, he was my friend. And now he shares his story, not backward. All the questions were lifted off him and I'm listening. And so I'm trying to catch up conversationally. So I said, well, I'm into Jesus. He goes, no, no, Francis, just <laughs> Jesus. I'm going, Jesus. Just. Jesus, just Jesus. Like it seemed like a narrow little box, you know, but um, he was again, uh, a fully vetted person. That night went up to the Smartsville Church, and we actually filmed there uh, September 11th of this year uh, with me. I had these beads on. I used to chant to Krishna, beads on. I was traveling with a woman from the planet Venus. I am sorry. I apologize for that. Uh, but a turquoise <laughs> necklace. And so I was being choked. Once I invited Jesus in, I said, Jesus, help me. I'm being choked by the necklaces. My hands were frozen at my side. I prayed my first prayer as a believer. My, one of my hands came up, ripped the beads off. We filmed that whole scene in a room full of people now, and I could breathe. And I became born again, stayed up that night interrogating people till one in the morning and I was off to the races. So that's, that's how I got saved. Man, I that is, that's an awesome thing, isn't it? God, God is just, when he goes after us, he, he, he knows how to bring us home. He does. And it was on mother's day. I knew it was my mother's prayers. She'd pray over her food and I would laugh at her. I mean, I, wow. Again, if I was, if there was a mean, vindictive God, he would have smacked me in the head. But she, I would, she would just laugh out loud as she was praying. But her prayers got me on Mother's Day 50 years ago. And so anyway, I was ordained an evangelist within six months. Um, he that, and that other guy, um, uh, Bruce was his name. And so I was off to the races, spent a number of years as an evangelist. Uh, but I'd watch people minister in the gifts of the Spirit. And man, I just did not have a clue. Um, you know, it was almost like there was an atmosphere where the prophet would come in, if it was a presbytery or something. And there was a lot of stuff around it that, that had personality. They would maybe change the way they spoke. The Lord would say unto you. Uh, and I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do that. My goodness, that's the, do I have to change my language? Did Jesus change his language? I mean, how do you do this? So I began to pastor that community. The Jesus movement dried up but they needed someone to pastor that community. So I got saved in 72, 77. I went up supposedly for six months, uh, four years and four months later, I was done there. But while I was there, 
um, the Lord one day spoke to me, taking a shower and said, I'm going to teach you how to hear my voice. Wow. And, um, and my initial response was just conversationally in my head, no audible voice. I said, well, I know nothing about the subject, you know, but he just encouraged me. That was the whole point that I could start fresh at that point, uh, began to then fast a lot and pray. And we then wrote a textbook called spirit led evangelism. Uh, we had already have been traveling with a seminar at that point called glad's hidings. And so, um, we went through all the gospel verses, all the book of acts, find the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, and just did a whole kind of uh, expository teaching on the gifts. And then I began to step out. And over a probably a 12, 15 year period, ministered over 16,000 people individually. So go to churches into late in the night, prophesying ministry and the gifts of the spirit. And um, then from there, you know, once I stopped being an evangelist, began to pastor, and you can't be as fluid in that. You can't, you know, walk out the people in the congregation and, and then expect them to come back next week if you, you know, shared something publicly. So it became a lot more discreet, uh, but still, you know, ministering in the gifts of the Spirit. And, and now pastoring then, I pastored for 21 years. Um, I retired three years ago, crowd surfed out. <laughs> Don't get the crowd. And... Um, you know, the, the, the topic of gifts of the spirit, my daughter Havila is um, writing uh, a course right now. We're on day 11 of a 15 day course coming out in January. She'll probably have 25,000 uh, people that will go through it, but it's on the gifts of the spirit. So she's, you know, the girls grew up in that atmosphere. And so they became very prolific in it at, at an early age and really were kind of baptized in it. That was just amazing. Mark, I tell you, I, I've known Francis for years, but it was just great hearing his story again. Well, Bob, you got some wild friends. That's all I could say. <laughs> I love these stories. Uh, they're just, they're larger than life, but they're true. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, you know, characters, I, I think of the apostle, Paul. I think of his conversion on the road. And I think of these dramatic, absolutely dramatic conversions. A guy's, a guy's running as hard as he can into the new age and, and all of the Eastern mysticism and the whole hippie culture. And the next thing he knows, he's running just, just as hard in the opposite direction towards a relationship with God. I, I love that part of his story. Um, you know, that guy, that guy, the friend of his chanting and, and, and <laughs> to Chris, I don't know what it is, but suddenly there was this fascinating, there was this hunger for something more. I yeah. mean, people, we were a very hedonistic uh, yeah. generation. We've been spoiled, raised, you know, very raised with parents that were very materialistic after World War II, and they wanted their kids to have everything. But for some reason, there was this hunger for something deeper, and we tried drugs and sex and all that stuff. And yet, and and so when it came to God, we were just, I guess, as intense about that as we were about the other things. Yeah. I, I remember. Uh growing up in those days. And I think the, the high school I went to was, uh, we called it the, the country club. There was a lot of rich kids there. And they've got all these blessings. They've, they've got the, the, the privilege and everything else, but they're not happy. And we were empty. Uh, these kids were empty. I, I wasn't one of the rich ones, but I hung around with them. And Nobody was particularly happy. We wanted something more. That 
something more sends you on a search. Yeah. And it can, it can end in a lot of places. For me, it ended with the Lord. But I think one of the, one of the values that can happen to you when you're young is being disillusioned with life as it is, where you start to say there's got to be something more. As soon as you start saying that, there's got to be something more. God has access to, to yeah. lead you. Yeah. And you know, Bob, it's not just about values like whether we're materialistic or, or uh, what am I going to do with my life? I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, or I'm going to start a business. It's not questions like that. It's it, what, what's really, what really matters. And as soon as you become disillusioned with the present, even Christianity, like uh, I was thinking of our, of our uh, interview with Les Meredith, where he was talking about, there's got to be something more. If this is all there is, there's just not much to it. That hunger put him in a position to receive more from God and to be led by God. And I think Francis is the same way. He just, he just, he was so hungry. He was ready to kill himself. Yeah. A life without purpose and meaning. And he was ready to kill himself. And before you know it, he has all the purpose he can handle for the rest of his life. And you know, something else. You know what it did? It birthed. Out of that, God just stepped into that void and started drawing people. And what I'm hoping is that right now, every you know, the drug of our age is is the elect that is the internet and the social media technology. And technology. That's the drug of our age, but it's empty too. And I'm just praying a generation are just going to start to sense that and look for something more. I think they are looking. They're they're not looking in the right place yet. Yeah, but they're looking. I, a person who's searching is a person who finds. The one that doesn't search doesn't find. Yeah. So I think we need to pray for that, for growing hunger, especially yeah. in our youth, for something more. I really liked what he said. He, was, he became a Christian, he became an evangelist, but he didn't step into the things of the Spirit right away. Mm -hmm. There was a learning curve there. There must be more. There's got to be something more to this, especially you read the book of Acts and you think, why isn't that happening today? Something's wrong somewhere. Uh, but he said, you know, he was watching these guys move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they're, they got the preacher voice. They go into some weird speech impediment trying to sound spiritual or religious. I love that he called that fake. He didn't use the word fake, but he was pretty much like, I can't be like that. That isn't really real. I think it's, it, it behooves us to be very flexible in our delivery of how we present the things of the Spirit to people. So style doesn't become more important than substance. Yeah. We don't, we, to say, hey, this is the way you got to do it because this is the way I did it. This is the way you have to appear when you're doing it because this is the way I appeared when I was doing it. All that is going to do is provide an impediment to somebody coming into the things of the Spirit. But he, he got through it. He, he rejected the part that was culturally inaccessible to him, but he still found the real thing. And I think that's, that's fantastic. And that, that set him on a journey. And uh, in our next video that we do with him, our next interview, uh, he's going to describe more of that uh, journey and, and how God started to use him in those gifts. And, and, you know, maybe you've been turned off by some of the gifts that you've seen or the way people operate in the gifts. The way they operate in them. Yeah, yeah. because it's, it's put on, they kind of, you put on a posturing a certain way that, and God is not into that. Uh, that's what I love too about prayer. It doesn't have to be, you know, some kind of elaborate thing. It's just really being very real and honest with God where you're at. 
I was talking to a friend of mine from a conservative, it sounds funny, conservative Pentecostal background. There was a day when Pentecostal wasn't conservative, but he was from a conservative Pentecostal background. And we were talking about the movement that I was a part of in the 1980s, where I came into the things of the spirit. And he started to listen to what I was saying. And he said, that's fantastic. That's, fan that's fantastic. And, and he went and listened to a whole bunch of John Wimber's materials. And he came back to me a week later and said, I've been listening to all these, these lectures by John Wimber. He said, he's, he's fantastic. Why did I miss all that? And I said, why did you miss all that? And he said, because it was happening to hippies mm. and, and surfer types. Mm. And he said, I judged them on their appearance. And I judged that mm. it wasn't God because they were disrespectful in yeah. how they came to church. And he said, but I just realized I missed something wonderful. And I, I should have, my heart was closed and it should have been open. Yeah. I think we've got, I think we've got to be the same way yeah. very carefully with the next move of God that we don't judge it through the lens of our experience yeah. or our style or what worked for us. We, we're going to have to adapt to them. They're not going to have to adapt to us. Well, if you've been watching the podcast today and you don't want to miss it, I want to encourage you to get our book, Reluctantly Supernatural, or watch some of the other videos that are on our YouTube channel. You can get our book uh, at uh, Amazon.com, or you can go to our website, which is ReluctantlySupernatural.com, and uh, you can order it right there. But stick with us through this series, because Francis has got some amazing stories uh, to tell us. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Reluctantly Supernatural podcast with your hosts, Mark Cowpersmith and Bob Maddox. Be sure to check out our website at www.reluctantlysupernatural.com or visit our YouTube channel, Reluctantly Supernatural, for more videos and podcasts. To get a copy of our book, Reluctantly Supernatural in an Age of Reason, you can purchase it at Amazon.com or order it directly from us at our website, www.reluctantlysupernatural.com. Natural.com.